In J.R.R. Tolkien's fantasy trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, we find a tentative hobbit named Frodo who is tasked with this major responsibility to take an evil ring to a specific location for it to be destroyed. It would be a monumental accomplishment for many reasons, but especially so because along the way he would be confronted by vicious enemies who coveted possession of that very ring. His success became dependent upon many helpers. In fact, it became dependent upon a fellowship of helpers to bring his success to pass. Sam and Mary and Pippin and Aragorn and Gandalf and Gimli and others, they each played an important role in Frodo's perseverance to the end of his journey. In a very similar way, Christ's followers, God's children, have also been presented with a challenging journey on our way to our promised land. There are temptations of all sorts that we each face. There are many, many unpredictable discouragements that come into our lives. There are certain personal failures. And there most definitely is an enemy to our attempts at continued faith, at persevering in our belief. Yet we also are blessed with a fellowship to help us persevere in our confidence in our Lord. That is, in fact, why one of our goals at Harvest Bible Church is to prescribe genuine fellowship, to have a community, to foster a community within our congregation to help us on to God. If you have not done so yet, would you please open your copy of the Scriptures to the book of Hebrews? If you're using the copy in the pew, you can find it on page 844. Hebrews is part of the Christian New Testament. It's a letter that was written to a to a storm-tossed church, a church that was probably riddled with uncertainty and hopelessness to some extent, a church that was fearful of the future. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3 this morning, and I'm going to begin reading in verse number 7 to the end of the chapter. Hebrews 3, verse 7. This is God's Word. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all came out of Egypt by Moses. 
But with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear, and to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? But to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. This passage is all about belief. Having confidence, having faith in God until the end of this earthly life. Continuing to believe in the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Persevering in your faith. Only the gospel, only the good news of Jesus can give assurance that you truly have a right standing before a holy God. Friend, if you've gathered with us today and you do not believe in God's ability to rescue you, today you're going to hear how God is trustworthy, how you can trust Him to hold you fast until He comes again or takes you home. Now, if you've come as a, as a follower of Christ, if you claim belief in God's ability to rescue you, if you profess to be a Christian, the passage that we come to today is a stern warning for each of us about continuing to believe, about a means that God has gifted you with to help you continue believing the truth. In His grace, God has given to us His Word. In His grace, God has given to His children His Spirit to indwell us. And in His grace, God has gifted us with a community to help us continue on in our faith. He's given to us the local church. The church is one of God's ordained means to offer His children the ongoing help for our ongoing needs. Last week, we considered what we do together in regards to our relationship with God. What we do when we come together. We come together to worship God, to, to cast our gaze on Him and to be thankful to Him and to recognize what He's done for us. Our focus was on our relationship to God. This week, we consider what we do together in regards to our relationship with each other. How we help each other continue. Unbelief has eternal consequences. Continuing to believe comes in part through Christian community. Christian, you need community. These verses present to us a community example of unbelief, a community warning to examine ourselves, and a community responsibility to exhort. So we begin with a community example of unbelief. In verses 7 through 11, we, as was noted when, when Psalm 95 was, was read earlier in the service, we see that the, the, the author of Hebrews is, is quoting from Psalm 95. So verse 7 says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost says, and he begins to quote from Psalm 95. Just a quick rabbit trail as we kind of get set to, to, to look at this example of, of community unbelief. We need to be reminded as the author kind of sets the tone for us. He says, as the Holy Ghost says. My friends, two things. God is the author of the Scriptures. We are receiving God's Word. So the, the author of Hebrews is pointing back to the Psalms and saying this is what God has given to us. 
God's word is breathed out. It's inspired. This is another confirmation for that. Secondly, he uses the present tense. The Holy Ghost says, the Holy Spirit says, God's word is alive. It's quick and it's powerful. It's active for us today. It's changing us today. So the author quotes Psalm 95 as a specific example of of community unbelief. Back when the psalm was written, the psalmist was originally using this story to warn his people against unbelief. Then a thousand years later, the writer of Hebrews uses it for the same purpose. And now, some 2,000 years later, we are receiving the same warning. Don't fall to unbelief. The Holy Spirit says, don't harden your hearts. Hear today. Do today what God wants you to do. Don't do what the children of Israel did, even after they had seen proof of God's power and care for over 40 years. You remember the story, right? Before they had left Egypt, midnight on that unforgettable night for the nation of Israel. They were secure in their homes, the pleasing aroma of roast lamb hanging over them. The night that the destroyer struck down all the firstborn children of Egypt and the wails of mourning that came from every Egyptian home. It marked the conclusion of 430 years of bondage. Next was the great exodus. 600,000 men plus women and children, maybe a million and a half people. All of their livestock, they all made an orderly exit from the land of Egypt. A pillar of cloud formed in the sky before them to lead the way out, turned to fire at night. What a sight. Pharaoh pursued after them, but as Moses stretched out his hand, An east wind began to howl, driving a a dry path across through the sea. And Pharaoh's army followed in, and Moses stretched out his hand again, and the sea engulfed the armies of Egypt. God was with Israel. Miriam danced with her tambourine, praising God as a result of what they had seen. At that point, Israel had a strong confidence. They had a strong belief. They had a strong understanding that God was with them at this point in history. But we know the rest of the story, don't we? Eventually, they didn't enter into the promised rest. It did not end well as well as as it had begun. In fact, only two men out of the 600,000 men over the age of 20 entered into the promised land. And that was 40 years later. The rest of them fell dead in the wilderness. Here is the warning that the author of Hebrews and of Psalm, the psalmist, gives to us. It is foolish and it is dangerous to harden your heart to God. The Israelites had become a heart of hearts after seeing God do work over and over. They became the classic example of unbelief in the face of overwhelming evidence. Unbelief refuses to accept the most overwhelming evidence, simply because unbelief doesn't want to believe. The Israelites did not end well. God had led them safely into the land land of milk and honey, but they would not believe him. He could have done that, but they would not believe him, and they did not enter into that rest. They presumed upon the kindness of God. You know, children do that, right? Young children, they presume upon the kindness of their parents, 
they assume that their parents will continue to, to help them and to give them what they need or what they want. But then they grow up and they mature and they see more of their own personal responsibility as they come to adolescence and then to young adults. And then you know, they, they, they recognize their own personal responsibility. And they stop presuming upon the kindness of their parents. They don't assume. Do you still presume on the kindness of your heavenly father? Of course he's going to be kind. His mercies are new every morning. But are you taking liberty? Are you going further into sin because of the mercy that you know is available? Unbelief has eternal consequences. Continuing to believe comes in part via Christian community. Christian, you need community. So the writer of Hebrews, he, under, he explains this, this example of community unbelief, but then he shifts his argument at this point, and he wants to suggest a couple of action items based on this community of unbelief. And this is where we see a community warning to examine our hearts. Verse number 12 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Based on the example of Israel's unbelief, an appeal is made to the readers. Don't follow this example. We've all been taught that way, right? Driver's education is on my mind these days. Um, and so I was thinking back to when I was learning how to drive in the Washington, D.C. area. And I took a course after class, after school was ended, an instructor would come to our, our school and gave us a, a class on how to drive. And sure, there was lots of, of, of examples of, hey, look, look, this is how you should do it, and instruction on how to hold, your, hold the steering wheel and how to change lanes and how to speed up to avoid the, 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 the nasty driver behind you or whatever. But there was also examples of poor driving. Look, don't do this. Don't slam on your brakes in this situation. Don't forget to use your blinker when you change lanes most of the time, or whatever the case may be. Don't follow this bad example. It's exactly as simply as, as we have it here in, in Hebrews chapter 3. God had given many, many warnings to the children of Israel. And now the author of Hebrews, he extends that to the church, and he, he writes to us in 2020, and he says, Take heed! Take care, church! The warning is, we, we, we read, Take heed, brethren, I don't believe that's a reference here to believers as it is in, in verse number one of the same chapter. I think it's a, it's a racial, it's racial in its meaning. He's, he's speaking to unbelieving Jews. Take heed, see to it, brothers, that no one departs from the living God. No one turns away from this one. You see him, you see the, what he's done for you. Don't follow the example of unbelief of Israel. Take heed. Someone who willingly turns away and departs from God will incur a huge penalty, an eternal penalty. The rebels in Moses' day missed the promise of an earthly blessing, the land of Canaan, the promised land. But rebellion against Christ today forfeits the blessing of eternal life. The greatest sin in all the world is the sin of unbelief. Hebrews 10, verse 31 reminds us that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So the concern that prompts this warning and, and illustration by the author of Hebrews is that the fate of the generation of the Exodus would be repeated to who he writes to. The concern that we must have today is that the fate of the Israelites could be the fate of some in Harvest Bible Church. 
You can stand on the verge of receiving Jesus Christ. You can stand there on the edge for a long time, toying with the idea and thinking to yourself, God, prove yourself again. Show me one more thing. Show me one more reason. I'm not sure. I'm just not quite ready yet. But one day, it will be too late, and you will not enter into eternal rest. Israel had so much evidence. The cloud by day, the fire by night, the manna, the quail from heaven. But they refused to believe God for the land. Israel had so much evidence, and we have even more. We have proof that Christ died on the cross, that he rose again on the third day. He lives, he saves men. Friends, the evidence is in And unbelief in the face of this evidence is tragic. The example of the Israelites proves that it is possible to begin well, but to end poorly. I was thinking about our congregation this week as I prayed through the list. So many of us have had just a wonderful beginning, right? We've been given a Christian heritage. Maybe many many of us went to Christian schools or colleges. Many of us, especially here in Lancaster County, grew up going to church. We've seen God's work all around us. Some of us can even speak about our Exodus experience, and you say, well, I went forward. I walked an aisle. The Israelites walked a wilderness, yet they didn't enter into their rest. Are you persevering? Have you ever truly repented? Have you committed to Christ? The warning comes to you sternly this morning. Stop hardening your hearts. Today could be the day of salvation. Friend, don't repeat the faithlessness of Israel. Don't presume upon the kindness of God. The call here is to take heed, lest there be any of you that have a heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. It is possible to believe factual data. James reminds us that even the demons believe factual data. It's possible to to know some facts, but to have an unbelieving heart. The author of Hebrews places an emphasis on the urgency of this warning to examine our own hearts. Today we will walk with God, or today we will not walk with God. Today we will choose to obey, or we will choose to disobey. Today you have opportunity to lust in your heart and mind, or to choose the path of obedience. Today you will have the opportunity to act with greed, or not. To be hateful towards others, or to not. You were called to check the posture of your heart today the current situation the author of hebrews says take heed friend is there any sin that your heart is entertaining are you making room in your hearts in your life for sin is there a kind of a cubby hole in your in your life that's not known to other people that you're holding on to that you're making room for that you're fostering in your hearts Do you have a secret avenue towards sin? That's unbelief. God says that he will shut out from his rest all who rebel, presume, fail to believe. Unbelief has eternal consequences. Continuing to believe comes in part via Christian community. Friend, you need Christian community. So he gives us this warning to look, to examine our own hearts. So community example of unbelief There's this community warning to to examine our own hearts. And then the passage concludes with the community responsibility 
to exhort. Look at verse number 13. But, and here's where we come to this, this idea of community, but exhorts one another daily while it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The word for exhort carries the idea of coming alongside to give help. The deceitfulness of sin is referenced in verse 13. It points to the trickery of sin. Sin seldom appears uh, as it really is, does it? When a person becomes spiritually hardened, he is rarely aware of it. He can hear the gospel of Christ time and time again and not respond because he's become hardened to it. Our old nature suggests that sin is not that bad, and we try to convince ourselves, ah, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. My problem with lust is not a big deal. My problem with greed is not that out of hand. I'm not that evil. I'm not that wicked. There's room for improvement, sure, but I don't really need to be saved. I can do this. So because of the deceitfulness of sin, we tend to to think that we don't need the help of others. Think of how different it may have been for Israel if they had daily encouraged one another instead of falling into negativism and complaining against God, quarreling. Isolation, and particularly isolation from the mutual encouragement of the body, is a dangerous thing. And when we are isolated, when we're alone, there's no accountability, there's no encouragement towards the right way. It's tempting to take the easy course instead of the right course of action. So, if the danger of unbelief is so strong... If we are to examine our own hearts for unbelief, to look and to see if I'm holding on to sin, if I'm I'm continuing to believe, how in the world do we combat an unbelieving heart? The author says in verse 13, exhorts one another daily. Al Mohler put it this way, immersing oneself in the community of saints, in the care and watchfulness of the local church, in the preaching of God's word, and in the exhortation of fellow believers, remedies an evil, unbelieving heart and protects us from falling away. We are to encourage each other daily, not just on the first day of the week. We need to humbly say to each other, today, brother, sister, listen to his voice. Today, brother, sister, listen to Jesus Believe the promises. Look to Jesus. I was encouraged at the celebration of life service for our sister Jenny Taylor on Friday afternoon. Just thinking and hearing the stories about a lady who had year after year just plodded along faithfully and how she was so active and so involved in encouraging other Christians. Friends, that's all of our responsibility. We are partakers of Christ, or we share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence that we had at first. We had no doubts when we met Christ, and we should not have any now. We must consciously strive to hold firmly to the end. So failure to persevere to the end reveals that we are lost. It doesn't mean that we were saved and that we lost our salvation. That can never be. Once we're saved, we're kept by the power of God that we never truly repented of our sin, that believed in Christ. The greatest proof of salvation is in continuance in the Christian life. The Gospel of John chapter 8 says it this way, So Jesus said unto the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my true disciples. 
1 John chapter 2 says, They went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out. They may be made manifest that they were not all of us. So a lessening of our confidence, of our trust, of our belief, should serve as a stern warning to any of us. Now let's bring it a little bit closer to home. We take this warning seriously. As members of Harvest Bible Church, we love one another. We are called to care for one another. In fact, we love the people of this congregation so much, and we are so intent on seeing people persevere in their belief in Jesus Christ that if someone begins to fall away and to stop believing or to stop following Christ and and following after Him with their heart and their life, and they they continue in sin, we will use the the description and the means of of church discipline from, from Matthew 18 to bring you back and hopefully to restoration. We take it seriously. Christians, we need the community. Our own statement of faith says, we engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines, and to give it a sacred preeminence over all institutions of human origin, to contribute cheerfully to the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. This is what we are called to, to care for one another. This is the whole idea that is behind our ministry, the core idea behind our ministry of connection groups. Our connection groups aren't perfect. They're set up, the schedule, the particular mix of people, the plan. It can't be perfect because it's, it's set up by imperfect people and they're full of imperfect people. So if you're looking for a situation that's just right and just perfect for you, you're going to be disappointed. However, we want connection groups to be an opportunity for Christians to care for Christians, for the truth of God's Word to be spoken to the lives of other Christians by other Christians. So connection groups are intended to foster relationships that will help Christians help other Christians with this problem of falling away or with self-reliance. I was speaking with a dear friend in recent weeks, and he was explaining some really, really hard times that he's going through. Lives states away from here. And he was explaining the difficult situation of, of, of his life, and family, and sin issues. And he was like, John, I don't have anybody. There's nobody that's, that's, that's close enough to me where I can share these things and get help and comfort, and direction, and rebuke. What should I do? Friends, those things ought not to be. God has graced us. He's gifted us with the community. So connection groups are intended to be a means to fulfill our responsibility to to this, this, uh, this exhortation in verse 13, to exhort one another daily. So for 2020, our plan is to have 12 meetings this year. You can see this list. It's published every month. There are copies available at the Welcome Center. The congregation has been divided into 10 different groups. Those are pretty big groups for for the size congregation that we have. But we want you to understand and to know the people that are in your group. It's the third Sunday of most months that we will be meeting. Many groups meet after the Sunday morning service. A lot of you are meeting today. Some of you met last week. Some of you will meet later on tonight. 
but we hope to facilitate an opportunity for you to foster those relationships because you're not just going to walk up to, to, to somebody you don't know in the hallway of Harvest and say, how did you sin this week? It's not going to work like that, is it? We want to foster relationships that, that, that open up community and transparency. So in those meetings, we're going to spend time in the Word. We're going to spend time praying for one another, spend time encouraging one another. You're not forced to attend. Uh, you say, I see my name on a list, but I don't plan to go to connection groups. You're not forced to attend. But we, we think that you miss out if you don't attend, if you're, you're able to do so. We have some people that can't attend. This morning we prayed for our sister, Jean Acker. There's no way that she'd be able to come to a meeting. Well, we put her in a connection group so that, that connection group can care for her and watch over her and minister to her. There are others like that in our congregation as well. So we hope that you will make a commitment to these meetings as, and prioritize them uh, on your calendar. Connection groups are kind of like a checkpoint for yourself. We don't want anybody to fall through the cracks, fall away from the church, go underserved as they worship here at Harvest. Very simply, you have a responsibility to others. You have a responsibility to yourself. You're to exhort others, and you're to be exhorted. You are to give, and you're to receive. This is God's plan for you. So foster a receptive heart. When you're meeting with somebody that's much different than you, in connection group. Foster a receptive heart to hear them, to learn from them. It's actually God's good means of work to you. And then also be willing to give of yourself and to encourage somebody with your life experience what God has taught you. Our friend Paul David Tripp says it this way. Fellowship is God caring enough to put people in your life to encourage, rebuke, and comfort you. God cares for you that much, friend. God cares for you enough to put people in your life to encourage you, to rebuke you, and to comfort you. And God is going to use your, you as a means to do the same thing for others. Frodo the Hobbit's journey was spotted along, all along the way with trials and doubts, unbelief, and all of the kinds of hardships. Yet with the accompanying fellowship, he persevered to the end. He needed elves and dwarves and wizards and everything else to help him along the way. They were all an integral parts of his perseverance. That's classic literature. It's amazing to us, isn't it? But it is, after all, fantasy. How much more we should see the need of fellowship in our very real journey to our promised rest. Brothers and sisters, I am prone to wonder. I feel it. Do you feel it? I am prone to leave the God that I say I love. I need you. I need you to exhort me every day. I need you to remind me the promises are true. And you need me to exhort you. And what we really need is to remind one another that we are not held fast because we are holding one another fast. We are held fast because what God has done for us through His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. This is how we exhort one another. So I need you to remind me that there is pleasure in sin for a short time. I need you to remind me that the payment of sin is death, eternal death. I need you to remind me that all of my righteousness is like a polluted garment. 
I need you to remind me that though my sins be as scarlet, he has washed me white as snow. I need you to remind me to keep believing, to keep trusting in the hardships of this journey. I need you to remind me that Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. I need you to remind me that I am a debtor to God's mercy. I need you to remind me that Jesus and Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. I need you to remind me that though my sins are many, His mercy is even more. I need you to remind me that there is victory in Jesus. To remind me that those who do not believe will not enter into rest. I need you to remind me that Christ became sin for me. Even though he knew no sin, he became sin for me, that I might be made the righteousness of God. What hope there is for me to continue on. I need you to remind me that I have not been redeemed by perishable things like silver and gold, but I've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I need you to remind me that Jesus is coming again. And I further need you to remind me until Jesus comes again that he will hold me fast. Friends, I need you to remind me that Jesus Christ, the only Son of the living God, laid down His life as a ransom for me, that even now He shows His wounds before the Father's throne in intercession for me, and that one day He will come for me or He will call me home, and I will spend all of eternity face to face with Jesus. That's your job, and that's my job. That's what we're called to do, to exhort one another, to remind one another what Jesus has done for us, that we may continue on in our belief. So when you go into your connection group meetings in just a few minutes, go exhort one another so that nobody is hardened with the deceitfulness of their own sin. Unbelief has eternal consequences. Continuing to believe comes in part through Christian community. Christian, you need community. It only happens by the grace of God at His good pleasure. So He has looked out for you by providing this congregation as a means to care for you. See the example of unbelief. Heed the warning to examine your own hearts of unbelief and obey the call to exhort and to help one another. May God help us to do so as we strive together for the faith of the gospel at Harvest Bible Church. Let's bow our heads and close.